Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon, TCG, discussion, and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we will be recapping the BT9 North American competitive meta and discussing our experiences with it. We are now available on all podcasting networks, including but not limited to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, we are also streaming on twitch.tv slash Zenitsu, and it also does go up on YouTube on the YouTube channel of Zenitsu. We will be adding a new segment, the viewer question of the week, taking suggestions from Zenitsu's YouTube channel. This week's question is, what is the ideal Digimon game length? How fast or slow should games be? And provide examples of meta that encapsulated that why don't you start so i think that's like game speed is kind of a tricky question because depending on the format and depending on how fast or slow you want things to go it sometimes is hard to control especially with multiple different decks and obviously the more decks there are um the harder it is to manage just because one deck could move faster than another Obviously, control decks move slower, so the turn count is elongated versus aggro decks that want a shorter one. I think, like, a general, like, rule of thumb, per se, is around six turns is, like, what I generally enjoy. It feels like there's enough time to set up, there's enough time to get things going, and there's enough time to be able to, like, respond and figure out each other's gameplays and try to play around it. So I think like a good example of this is probably BT8. Uh, BT8, I think, had a really fantastic meta where it wasn't like overtly just you're just dead uh, by like turn three or four, but there were just more powerful things escalating in the background of how you were playing your cards. And I think like there was just a good plethora of decks that just didn't overtly win by default, but allowed you to be able to try to do some very fun and powerful things. That's a good take on the idea. Just, I guess my answer would be that it's not so much a turn length, so much it is is a a state of game length. Um, You should have sufficient time to set up if your strategy involves you having some amount of setup. And I think while it is still beneficial to have decks that require slightly less setup to be able to punish those decks that require more setup, I still think that you need to exist in a space where something like, oh, I can't play a Memory Tamer because that one turn wasted is is potentially half or a third of my total turns that I get for this game. So somewhere between like the, I guess, four to six to eight turn length depending upon whether there's responses. Because as soon as you introduce, I have, you know, built up my level six, I've built up my threat, I am now asking, you know, your security to respond to me, or asking your board state, you're you're interacting in some way, and then if my, if I lose my level six, then do I have the, the ability to come back? Potentially not, but depending upon if I have an immediate answer, if, like, if we can both knock each other's threats down and then kind of start 
back, not from the ground up, because, you know, you have some sort of resources built up, potentially a docked memory boost, potentially a memory tamer, stuff like that that allows you to facilitate a faster ramp up back to your level six and then start actually going at each other again. Because I think, like, just the way the game's natural progression goes, it's like turn one, you're usually going to get into your champion. Then by your second turn, which would be turn three for the game overall, you should be getting into your mega. Uh, don't don't count that way. That's, that's way harder to count. Just count personal turns, because honestly, that matters more importantly. I don't care if it's turn six, if it's my turn. You know, one, two, three, Okay, four. so personal turns... By your second turn, ideally you should have the availability to be able to get into your Mega. Yeah. Uh, just based on how the memory system and the push and pull ebb and flow generally is. Mm -hmm. um, and then... And potentially more usually... depending on how much memory you're given, right? Like if right. they give you exactly three, you can go five Tamer, five six, depending, you have options. Literally like five option card, five member boost, you know? Yes. So they're like that's why I like that like six number because like you're spending your first one to two maybe three turns setting up and then you're spending your next three turns aggressing and figuring out how to rebuild and reestablish or continue the pressure mm -hmm. depending on where the state of the game goes from there. Especially because the way that we build ratios or at least you know Assuming the deck is shuffled and is entirely random and you're seeing an equal amount of proportionately of each level, then, you know, I do consider fact, facts at times where, okay, this is my third rookie. I don't need my third rookie. I shouldn't need a third rookie unless I'm hard playing it for some reason or some value that can be ascertained through that, you know, aspect. And if so, then... It goes away if I ever need to. Like, if I have to discard a card, it's it's going first. Um, I guess usually with regard to the Alphamon matchup specifically, because that's how I'm framing this mostly, because it, it actually has that opportunity to discard. Or, um, I guess, D-Reaper, another deck I have experience with. I can... How fast can I get to my Gatekeeper Threshold? either with or without the X-Antibody option card. And if I can get keep Gatekeeper online, is that just holding off? Or have I like basically already won the game by that point, depending on how aggressive my opponent is? And then also based on how aggressive my opponent is, um, is Reaper the end state, or is just Chip with you know low-leveled or low-costed D-Reapers the actual end state? And I think that six turn length, like six individual turns allowing for build-up allowing for like rebuilding potentially um doesn't seem too far off really no but uh that's kind of like i think six is just a reasonable number like that yeah. way because that way like i used to help design um a now dead card game um part of the problems was games were lasting too long uh, and that was because players were doing, uh, they, they had too many turns, um, because we partially based it around Hearthstone where your resources just incrementally generate, generate themselves. Yep. So like games were taking too long just because the back and forth 
um, wasn't as dynamic as what we have with Digimon. Um, there was a lot more, like, it was like Hearthstone meets Magic, so, like, you have interrupts and all that other stuff that's actually elongating turn length just because of, like, how much interaction there actually was. Yeah, and I guess that's an important distinction to make, too. Uh, turn length is not game length. There, there are separate factors. Um, I know one of the like constant mentions is, is um, in the modern format of Magic. Turns the turn length is very low. Like a, a five turn game is long. Five individual turns, um, and yet the the games still go fairly long they take a longer because there's more interaction there are more factors to consider when making decisions um especially because you can do things on your opponent's turns so um oh my god just sorry to interject uh mm -hmm. i was learning how to play dragon ball super um this past weekend just because i want like to dip my feet wet in a whole bunch of different tcgs to kind of not necessarily transitioning away from digimon but like just to have some experience in other games to talk about mm -hmm. um, and relate it to Digimon. And oh my god, Dragon Ball Super, I I understand why it's a best of one game, because games take that like like games take that long. Turn-wise, I think we were only doing five turns each, but there was just so much like, oh, I play this and now this plays this, and then this searches for this, which allows me to then play this. Like there was just so much going on with such little resources. Well, it was absolutely ballistically insane. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what? So yeah, I use modern as the, like the example of a functioning card game that has low turn counts with long games. I use Yu-Gi-Oh as the example of a non-functioning card game with low turn counts and high. Like I was still just absolutely s struck the reality of the situation when I started playing Master Duel at, like, I could straight up, like, go make a cough. I'll, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Oh, you're still going? Cool. <laughs> like, goddamn, turn one? But, um, yeah, as far as Digimon works in its current iteration, six, six turns to completely close out a game it, decisively for one player or another, though sometimes it goes a little longer because you're scrapping with each other, you're constantly both losing resources, or sometimes it's shorter because somebody just kind of sees their pieces and isn't answered. And as long as there's that capability of answering, it's not too quick because there's still, like, something you could have done. Yep. Um. So yeah, today's true topic is the BT9 retrospective for the North American meta. Uh, just kind of us going over our experiences with it, our opinions on it. Um, not a whole lot has changed competitively with it in the in the last you know month or so. Most of the events happened early on, and then they kind of petered out in favor of store champs and the like. And then on top of that, there was uh, this. The data that we're going to be talking about is exclusively to North America. Um, and we did have data a little bit from various other regions and territories, but like when I actually factored that in, 
it like maybe changed the percentages by like one, maybe 2%, maybe swapped a place or made something tied. Like it really wasn't ground shakingly changing um, what the current structure of our meta for BT9 looked like. And, you know, I try and keep, you know, everything kind of above water as far as like, it makes sense why I do things the way I do them. And I've tried to explain why I do things the way I do them fairly well so that there's no confusion and um so i've said it multiple times like if it does if it's not competitively relevant to like the north american digimon scene then i kind of don't care about it at least for the purposes of this podcast specifically and um any data outside of north america is irrelevant in the fact that i will never play against a european player for any reason in any capacity unless i am top two at nats and then we'll talk so I just so statistically unlikely it's not worth my time to really compare that maybe a deck changes by a place, as Anitsu had mentioned. Um, we just, we're all playing with the same cards. We're all playing with the same sen- general sense of which cards are powerful and which cards are not powerful. And as a sense of that, we kind of play the game in the same way. Um, we each have our own metas somewhat, but overall the, it, on a grand scale, it's all the same. And, like, the vast majority of the North American data was just easier to collect and, like, throw into a spreadsheet and calculate. Uh, I had to really dig for European data, and, again, it didn't really change anything too much. Um, so that's that's why we excluded it. Um, not saying, like... We're excluding them, period. We uh, Obviously, they are doing their own thing, um, playing in this same type of environment, but the data just isn't readily available. Um, and again, we're more North American-focused uh, when it comes to the English Digimon card game. Yeah, if anyone knows a good like Australian, like Good A Digimon podcast, let us know. We can do a collab and talk about our comparing metas. But... Besides that, we're just going to talk about North America so far. Yep. Um, so, uh, as far as Tier 1 goes, like, what was the best deck in uh, BT9? It was, drumroll please, no. Metal Guru. <laughs> um, that's not really a surprise. Uh, Metal Guru, um, out of 208 decks uh, out of the top 16 out of 13 events, um, it took 48 of them. Uh, it had a 23% meta share, and out of all first place for those 13 events, it had three first place finishes. Uh, Alphamon is going to be the second tier one deck, um, and it did relatively well as well, um, having 34 represented decks, making it 16% of the meta and taking five out of the 13 uh, events recorded. Moving on to the tier 1.5. These are decks that uh, managed to win something at some point, but still had lower results on average than the tier 1 decks um, as we define them. So Grandis is in third place with 23 decks representing 11% of the meta and having a single first place over the course of the BDT9 meta. Uh, Gaumon in fourth place, also 23, also 11%, 
and also 1. So technically these are tied, but for the purposes of just number organization, we put them in order of kind of matchup dependency. It's pretty debatable which is which, honestly. Uh, I actually organized it by time. So Gaiomon took longer to seal that first place than Grandis. I guess, yeah. But Gaiomon also had more of a meta relevancy in the latter half. Uh, yes. So. Um, killing Tamers is definitely very, very strong. The protection package from um, Wargrey Moving uh, into was good. fifth place, we have the old and definitely not broken D Brigade. Uh, 17 decks, 8% of the meta, with one topping as well, one first place. Uh, sixth place, we have D Reaper with 12 decks and 6% of the meta share with two first places. And the only, like a slight anomaly here, uh, seventh place, Security Control with 14 decks, two more than D Reaper, 7% of the meta share, but did not win a single large event, thus putting it below D Reaper. Yeah, Security Control really just struggled this format. Like, obviously, it was a deck to take if you wanted to top, but it just couldn't manage to seal out games against any of the other top decks. We'll get into the reasons why later, uh, but jumping into Tier 2, um, we have Imperial Dramon with uh, 7 decks, 3% of the meta share, and no toppings. Everything Armorush from this is... point forward will not win an event. Just, just it, to make yeah. that clear. Those are the only yeah. decks that have won anything. Security Control is the only non-Tier 2 or below deck that didn't win anything. All of the Tier 1 and Tier 1.5 decks outside of Security Control won at least a single event. None of the rest did. Yep. Uh, so going into ninth place, we have Armor Rush, which did just as well as Imperial. Uh, just underneath that, at 10th place, we have Red-Yellow Hybrids. It could still win. Still struggling without Jet Selfie, but that's okay, uh, because it still had 3% with only 6 decks represented. Uh, Wargray X was uh, number 11, with 5 decks represented, 2%. And then uh, this one emerged kind of at the later half of BT9, which was Ophanimon. Um, and it's basically, just to summarize it, a Mastimon deck minus the Mastimon, uh, playing a lot of similar tech and tools and cards. Uh, just not focused on DNA. That was at 12% with four decks represented in 2%. 2%. 12th yep. place. That's that. There it is. I was going to say, yeah. I knew something was wrong there. 12th place. Yep. And then we have a small handful of rogue decks that won basically once or twice, and they only have a max of 1% of the meta share. Uh, 13th was Beelzeman. Um, 14th was Bellstar. Uh, 15th was Blue Hybrid, 16th was Mastemon, 17th was the True Hero uh, with Leomon, and then 18th, the last deck, was Lilith Loop. So that encompasses the uh, all of the top 16s from the North American events. Um, I guess starting from the top, like what did you really think of BT9? Just as, a, as an opinion. Um, I thought BT9 was actually more interesting than I initially anticipated. Everyone was all like, 
all doom and gloom on, oh, it's just going to be OTK format. It's going to be super boring. Nothing interesting is going to happen. But like, uh, if you listened last week to the meta differences, our meta actually changed quite a lot compared to Japan's meta. In Japan, Alphamon was the top dog because he was just one of the better OTK decks. He had lots of protection. Like, he had a lot going for him. But um, based on how we play in North America, we're either more aggressive or more controlling. So that puts Alphamon, like, kind of in this middle category where it's like he could do well against everything, but he's not going to do well against everything all the time. So Garurumon actually ended up being our first just because of the sheer consistency of blue. And the speed that Gururumon was moving at was just faster by far than any of their deck. Um, so after playing the deck extensively throughout the format, after my squambles at the beginning, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to play, um, Gururumon, just the fact that he aggros at level 5 versus level 6 was a huge game changer just because I need less setup. I have lots of draw, lots of consistency tools. And the bounce and unsuspend and security tech plus, it just all culminated into like, not really a perfect storm, but a very strong early game deck that could punish a lot of the other decks that are basically below it on the tier list. If you're moving a hair too slow, I could take advantage of that. If you're moving just as fast as me, I have enough protection and disruption to basically try to get around what you're doing while still setting up and doing my own thing. I have some solid defensive plays. I have solid offensive plays. It's just a good deck all around. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll re kind of respond to your parts before I be in my own. I think Metal Guru X was put in a very unique position because it is a deck that is very consistent due to its ability to, like, depending on if you had the right level 3s or the right level 4s, you could just cycle cards for zero and that ability to just refill your hand and always okay well i don't have a level five yet let's go four four oh whoop, there it is and then i go five and oh look there's the other five now i can go five again that ability to just cycle cards just really to see more of your deck in a shorter length of time than your opponents was something that made it incredibly consistent and incredibly powerful especially with its ability to just be aggressive at the level five Restand, sec plus one yada yada and specifically because it did have a an achilles heel something that we will potentially see moving forward to where the deck kind of falls off completely and it was saved you know somebody put an ankle guard over him because they decided to limit jet sylphiemon to one and then yellow hybrid fell off the face of the earth because the only way metal x dies is through dp minus and basically no deck ran dp minus in this format well, Metal X, uh, his protection was from battle. So the fact that you just end on a Metal X uh, bouncing whatever opponent's Digimon is on the field, uh, clearing it very effectively on top of any other bounces, uh, and then he's a blocker for the turn on top of that, just makes him very hard to deal with. It's like, oh, you're going to have to, if you're trying to attack into him, you're going to have to attack into him potentially two, three, maybe four times, depending on your setup, in order to actually get rid of the card. Um, I don't mean, like, Metal X, the specifically the level six, like Metal Guru X anybody. I mean the archetype. Yeah. Because your Inheritable allowed you to trash sources to not die to security, unless that's... Uh, it's, 
Not... Yeah, it's it's battle though. So if it's still in effect uh, that kills it, then it won't stop that. Yeah, but just fewer of those instances were being run, mostly as a limit uh... to they just couldn't because of its actual, you know, big brother, you know, watching, you know, the little the uh, surpassing the master. Because if Alphamon didn't exist, more decks that ran those types of removals would exist, because Alpha didn't give a shit about any of them. Uh, you are right, and a deck that also didn't give a crap about the vast majority of removal was also Gaiomon, just because the, um, the like red. I was stating before, it ran the red uh, Greymon X package, which basically stops it from dying from anything outside of um, DP reduction as well. Mm-hmm. Which again was yellow, which yellow Doesn't got exist. a massive hit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yellow got um, kneecapped. There was just not enough time to figure it out. Well, I mean, Chaos Dag was a really good card, um, and it still is a really good card. Congo, um, but yeah, Congo, <laughs> Congo. Uh, both of those decks, yes, both of those decks could easily run Congo and basically just ignore it. So that really is what hurt security control. Um, like, granted, yes, Guru has a pretty bad security control matchup. It's not impossible. I've done it multiple times. They have the red package that they could splash into if they're really afraid, even though I think that does make the deck worse. It's just a tech for that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just these protections on these high-level bodies that have such great impact that you just can't really deal with is what's making these decks excel more than others. Grandis is the only exception to this because it just kills you the turn it comes out if everything goes right. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's really just the crux of it is that Metal X, as an archetype, had kind of an Achilles heel that just wasn't present. You could technically, and honestly, had I not found D Reaper, had I really not enjoyed playing that in its BT9 iteration, I probably would have played my red, yellow, shine X whatever or rise x variant that i tried with at the beginning of bt9 and because i at the the beginning i thought metal x was a significantly easier matchup because i was running the one thing that it was weak to four copies of sunrise buster um you know three copies of the rise x all that all dp minuses all day and the deck isn't an issue but you just couldn't afford to run that because you lost everything else in the format yeah um and obviously yellow hybrids did do okay not like gangbustersly amazing it struggled just because it it it, recovered (laughs) it existed somewhat yeah it it just had a hard time removing the bodies that needed to be removed which is why like decks one through four um metal guru alpha grandis gaio uh respectively are like way up there in terms of the tier um, and I think like this even harkens back to why Deeper Gates actually started doing really well is because it's a low to the ground aggressive style of deck that also had enough room to run this like insanely powerful removal package uh, that it could just YOLO out of nowhere in its security. Um, and then Death X really helps add some extra control and oomph to the deck. But the fact that like a lot of Deeper Gates just die and then replace themselves is what makes the deck also pretty good at just having a really solid level of resilience. I think Deeper Gate also found 
a niche in the format as a result of a lack of a certain kind of removal, and that was go wide. Every deck was one stack, one win decks that everyone had basically, outside of exclusively Death X, cut their wide removal options. And honestly, out of these top five decks, only D Brigade ran Death X. So against anything tiered higher than it, on anything more likely to be represented, decks weren't running Death X. So D Brigade was the first and highest represented in this list that is kind of that anti-meta option, just the aggressive version of it, whereas I think D Reaper is that more control-slated anti-meta option because it has a slightly slower game plan than D Brigade does. Yeah, and if you just, like, compare the ideas on, like, oh, having low-to-the-ground, wide boards, um, sticky bodies, Armor Rush only came in ninth place out of all of these decks because it, again, is why Partially Metal Guru was so good. It just did the same thing, just one stage higher. So that means you spent more time getting into your level fours and trying to stick on your level fours than trying to just get good value out of the bodies that you're currently playing and using well one of the problems i found with armor rush was just that outside of having access to certain cards or certain lines of play the deck wasn't that great like it wasn't even that aggressive it was okay i'm i'm raising my level four and i'm swinging and okay it doesn't die i guess i play a level three now like i i can't Digivolve this one. I can't unsuspend it unless I have a tamer already out, and then if I have that tamer out, I can unsuspend it, but only if it if it actually like has to purge. So if I don't have to purge, I don't have to like like outside of the option card, there were very few instances of true aggression. And then because of that, you know, again as I a D Reaper player, once Death X is or once Gatekeeper's live, it just kinda didn't exist. They very so few instances of sec plus one, and even fewer instances of removal. And I think like looking at the tier list, um, and just talking about all of these decks and where all of these decks are falling, I think literally D Reaper and Security Control are both like acting as that tier one point five gatekeeper, where it's like if you can't beat these decks. You are just not good enough to be above these decks. Mm -hmm. And all of the decks uh, above those two decks uh, that we see in tier, point one five, tier 1 and 1 1.5 obviously could beat those two decks. So Imperial, I know this for a fact, struggles pretty hard into D-Reaper. Once Gatekeeper is live, the game is over. I know Armor Rush is the same type of way. Uh, there's just a lot of like decks that are like tier 2 and below that just struggle with both security control and or D Reapers and also have a bad matchup sometimes into some of the other um, tier 1.5 and one decks. And I think they're specifically weak to D Reaper and security control with regard to they kind of need to go wide, especially, I guess, D Brigade included at that point. Gaiomon, Grandis, Alpha, Metal X, they can all exist within a single stack if they really need to and still win the game, and still perform their game plan pretty optimally, and th you'll never get played into Death X accidentally. At least you have a means of playing around it if you're Alpha, because you can just try and not play as many Tamers. Metal X 
doesn't really play tamers, and neither does Grandis. They kind of play the one hero if they're running a red package. That's about it. I mean, even as alpha, because you're just building your one stack and raising, if they death axe and it just sits there, it's not killing anything. It's not doing anything. It's just looking pretty. And then even when you move your uh, alpha out, he'll have protection from deletion for that turn. So you still get full value out of it, making death X kind of mute and well, irrelevant. I say protection as form of like death X as a response to your play, not a response to death X. Like, oh, cause yeah, if alpha yeah. comes out and swings and then they expect to potentially not lose with a, a like, um, you know, an Ori you can with blocker reboot and then I death X them. You know, depending on which sources they trashed, if they weren't smart about it, I could trash down to like a level four or something, and now they're screwed. I guess they wouldn't. They, I'd trash down to a level five at least. I, uh, if they trashed their alpha, then I could potentially de-digivolve down to a level five. I mean, that's not that backbreaking for alpha. They just play no. another alpha and do it again. But depending on how expensive that death X was, though, I mean, which is why if oh alpha, yeah yeah because yeah. if I play that like. Not that that's a thing, cause, and it, it shouldn't be a thing, because people are already complaining about Death X, but if I play Death X for negative one, you know, depending on how many things you have out, I've, I've played Death X's for zero against security control frequently. Okay. Yeah, just, and boop, it's still just, just a very... Uh, and it's still just a very annoying card to deal with, even though against, like, all of these top decks, it's not, like, borderline backbreaking. The majority of them don't play a whole lot of Tamers, just because tamers right now are super slow. Like, that's what's making Cool Boy such a good tamer, is the fact that he costs two, he'll gain net memory, game memory and draw. <laughs> yep. So not only is he replacing, he has a high chance of replacing, him else, ugh, replacing himself, even netting you a card if you find both an X-Antibody Digimon and the option, um, if your deck is running it. Mm -hmm. uh but the fact that he's also just going to be giving you so much value when you move out your stack and do your big combo play it just makes it so much more impactful uh than just any memory fixing tamer setting you to three so yeah i, I mean and this kind of goes into the game speed uh conversation that we had earlier where it's just like hard playing a tamer is too a slow lot this harder format. to do too slow yep it's it's a lot harder to do the longer the game goes on and the more turns have passed. It's okay to do, like, it's probably optimal to do turn one, turn two, um, but anything past that, you, you're you basically Depends. never going to be playing it. If you're going unless first, you have you literally nothing. It. If you're going first, you can't do it first turn. Because if I give you four memory, the game's probably over. They just are yeah. so efficient with memory nowadays that, like, just a Metal X, what can they do with four memory? Like uh, you know, Four memory, we would probably three, four, get five? up into a... Uh, yeah, basically, three, four, we four, three, five. four, five. <laughs> yeah, three, four, four, five, and we even have enough time to play our uh cool boy underneath all of that. Giving what passing one, <laughs> gross. Uh, if you played, if you played four, oh no, because it's um, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Oh, yeah so yeah. if if you played four, the ideal situation would be uh three, four, four, uh tamer, five. Yeah, and then you pass over more, but you'd still get to play both cards. Well, um, if you're sitting on a memory fixing tamer, you're going to go to three anyway. So yeah, but that's what I mean because as your first turn playing a memory tamer is just kind of exclusively wrong. You know, you just go three four pass. You know, depending on what deck you're playing, but um, any deck that digivolves, <laughs> you know, leave me out of the discussion. Yeah.
Um, yeah. But, so, like, overall, I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of people have played a lot of this format. It's It was one of our longer ones, in quotes. Like, it, it was... It wasn't an accelerated format, which made it feel longer comparatively. Like, how do you really feel about that? Um, I think the elongation or like just the the, the downtime, um, lack of acceleration of, is honestly how yeah, I kind of word it. Because <laughs> yeah, the last the, formats were just shorter than they should have been. That doesn't make this one any longer than it should have been. It just feels comparatively longer. I I think if the events were spread out a little bit more evenly instead of like shotgunned all at the beginning, uh, because through the whole month of what we're in October. So September, mm -hmm. uh, literally almost all of September, there was just nothing. There was absolutely nothing going on. And mm -hmm. I think that's what made the format drag is because like all the events were done in a month. And then we were just left sitting here where it's like, uh, what, do, what do we do now? Oh, we we have to wait till BT10, and then BT10 got a one week delay, and now it's just like, oh, BT10 is gonna feel super shotgunned, and then uh, it's gonna dip into EX3, and then EX3 is gonna be the um the longer of the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, not like stretching the length of our or the scope of our discussion too far in the future, but just based on the general timeline, we should have BT10 in two weeks. Then, I guess, no. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, because this weekend should be pre-released. Pre and then next week is the official release. And then November 11th, which is like three weeks later, is when EX3 comes out. Yeah, and then we should have EX3 until... February. February, <laughs> yeah. Like another three months or so. Two and a half to three months, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, BT10 be kind of like is is a blip comparatively, but this is this is the normal length. This is as long as it's supposed to last, and um, I think the the fatigue slash lack of events is a lot to do with that. I really would have liked to see potentially the ultimate cups that are slated for November or late October. I think maybe be have been moved to September or maybe well. So there are. October has the what the the GP GC one is something like that. Yeah, it's the DC one. DC uh, one. They had it last year around this time as well, um, and the, it's for the people who didn't attend Gen Con or Gen Con Online to have their shot at uh, getting some of those types of products. It's a more expensive tournament, but there's only literally one of it. Mm. Yeah. I participated last year, and I, I'm still sitting on an unopened playmat, so I really wasn't about to spend like 50 or $60 for participation just to sit on an unopened playmat again. Um, uh, I have yet to open my playmat in the year as well, and <laughs> I still have not even graded my all four that I'm sitting on. So, um, yeah, I think the, the format would have been potentially more exciting, at least, like throughout. would have been more of like a, a, a slower burn had it not been so expedited because i mean yours was a little bit more recent than mine but you know i won my nationals invite in this format and that feels like forever ago uh yeah it was mid, I was mid august at, <laughs> yeah i won mine at the very last minute um when it came to round one or wave one um and that was yeah again all the way back in august 
So like all of September, there was literally just nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, not to bring in like YouTube analytics and metrics, but I saw all of my stats go way down just because I think the interest in the game at that point went down as well. Like there just wasn't a whole lot of interest in uh, competitive Digimon during that time period because there was no competitive Digimon during that time period. Uh, sidebar, you can't say not to do something and then immediately follow it with doing that thing. But um, ah, semantics. <laughs> unrelated. Um, so, yeah, like, I think I was, like, to truly respond to your initial assertions, I, I think it actually turned out better for me than I thought it was as well because I entered this format very lost, having kind of bought completely like sold myself at least on the idea that yellow hybrids here yellow hybrids they're here to stay if i want to play yellow and i want to be competitive it's all i'm playing for the next three formats so you know i had already buckled in i had already researched future decks that i was going to play bt9 versions of the deck bt10 versions of the deck potentially ex3 versions of the deck as they were getting spoiled i think back then and I was like, okay, this is my future. The next three or four formats are yellow hybrids, just different versions of yellow hybrids. And then they kind of hit us with that, like, oh, last minute, haha, like, no more yellow hybrids, no more blue hybrids. And I said, crap, I don't know what to do. This is all I was considering playing for the next three formats. So I really don't, I, I, I started this format very lost and literally making fun of the deck that I ended up winning with most successfully. I mean, D Reapers is still fine. Uh, I know you were pretty hot on um, Alpha, but not exactly Alpha. You were more hot on um, Dexter Ugoramon. As a concept. Uh, and then you just re- <laughs> yeah, and then you just realized that, oh, Alphamon just... does the same thing, but better. Yeah. Like, I even thought it was just, like, the entire idea of, of adding that purple element to, like, play with the trash is cool, but it just... I played two whole locals with it. I mean, not that that's extensive testing. And not once did I actually get to play a Death X off the deletion of my Dexter Rugora because it just never mattered. And B, I don't ever think it would have mattered, even if it had mattered. Like, oh, okay, well, you killed my guy. Now I'm going to summon a Death X from my trash. It just never mattered. Like, the the format was just so, uh, so tight and so removal conscious that they didn't they never cared to kill a Dexdoru because they could just win the game around it. Yeah, that's that's fair. But the fact that like 18 decks made it into basically top 16, that's a pretty good spread even though that's a, a lot very of diverse it is spread. condensed. Eight, yeah, even eight. though a lot of it is condensed into the top 7. Uh, which is normal. Um, the yeah. fact that there was just a decent seven amount of decks representation. Is still, seven decks is still very diverse, honestly. Like, I know it doesn't necessarily feel that way if every other matchup in an event, especially at the like height of Metal X, when Metal X won like potentially 9 out of 16 spots in some of these events. Um, and I think it's something that's at least represented in the data here a little bit, and something I definitely think I felt a little bit, is that even though Metal X never necessarily got worse, people never really figured out a way to beat it necessarily, specifically, outside of just more security chance cards, like, oopsie, you happen to hit my one ultimate flare as D-Brigade, 
you lose now, like, then I think more people just kind of got tired of playing with it and or against it. So people stopped playing it, and therefore it wasn't represented with as much of a meta share at the end as it could have. Uh, possibly. Uh, I also think, like, the decks, like win percentage versus a lot of the other decks is not astronomically large it's not like oh just because it's the number one deck doesn't mean it's the number one deck by a very wide margin like i can surely tell you metal guru has a hard alpha matchup it has a pretty difficult security control matchup it has an okay gaiomon matchup um d reapers if you if they see uh gatekeeper the game is basically done uh, so like it's it's not like it's win percentage versus all of these decks is like astronomically large like there are still very intricate lines of skillful play that you have to make as metal guru against a lot of these top uh tier one and tier 1.5 decks so yeah i guess really breaking into the, the soul of the conversation did you like bt9 uh short answer yes um like it wasn't the doom and gloom we thought it was and i know jumping ahead a little bit um bt10 everyone's doom and gloom about cross hearts but we have yet to fully experience it we probably won't fully experience it until ex uh three when we actually have more time with it uh at larger events um but i think like there's still going to be a wide plethora of options in terms of decks that we can play. And I'm very happy with like everything that was represented in BT nine. I enjoyed BT nine. And it's funny because um, it's actually a question asked of like a, a friend of mine who's who no longer plays the game. And he was asking me, he's like, you haven't mentioned Digimon in a while. He's like, how's that going? And I was like, Oh, it's, it's okay. And he's like, wow. He's like, I usually don't get that answer. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the last couple formats, you were basically just waiting for it to be over. And then I looked back and I was like, Gabu Bond, Blue Hybrid, Blue Hybrid? Yeah, you're right. I actually was just waiting for those formats to be over. Like, this format with Metal X wasn't nearly as oppressive as Blue Hybrid was in EX2 and BT at the I get the end of ET, the end of EX2 BT8 because of the Leumon stuff. Um it wasn't as oppressive as Gabu Bond was. And it wasn't as oppressive as the initial iteration of Blue Hybrid and BT7. It genuinely won less, percentage-wise. And the fact that decks could exist, more than one deck could exist in the same color, um, even though there's kind of like a good spread here-ish, basically there's like two black decks and no purple decks, um, then that kind of answers like if you like a color pick a deck except for purple unfortunately this format i mean and it's not to like hark on purple is a bad color it's just if you're breaking down competitively why purple has been struggling um even just these like top tier purple decks like you have um starting with lilifloop Lilifloop, you need a very specific setup. You need time to be and able it's to get expensive. Your combo. <laughs> uh, and it's expensive to, to make. Like it, it is uh like it is not the easiest deck to play. It is expensive to make. And play-wise, it is very difficult to play. Um, so 
it's, it's still do that well still the hardest deck i think that is is in this format like lilith loop every iteration of it every new instance of a purple loop deck as we will see in bt10's uh minerva loop is difficult to pilot you are making dis you have to consciously decide and figure out you know between what's on the field what's in my hand what's in my trash how much memory do i have and it's a constant interplay between the, the those instances and doing something out of cycle or in the wrong i guess that's the same doing something out of cycle or tossing the wrong card at the wrong time um or missing a step of your you can't really miss a step of your loop necessarily but missing a step of your total options you know you cannot if you forget to swing or if you swing and then die it there's a lot of decisions that go into it especially i guess even more so decisions that go into the deck building of loop decks that make them very uh, particular and very suited to the pilot so like you loop decks i guess are, are just kind of their own thing unfortunately they're like they're a purple deck in color only but even if we just extend this to looking at BL Star, BL Star is basically just a weaker version of security control. It doesn't have any recovery to be able to utilize its option suite to its utmost potential, even though BL Star can just play them for free. It just doesn't matter when they're just hiding their main Digimon and raising, and all you have are these like little chip tools that are actually feeding the opponent because you're triggering their security stuff, but you need your stuff to die and you don't have good ways of triggering it yourself. So like it, it is, it does have its own share of like complications and problems that have been holding the deck back, even though we thought it was going to be so good because everything was just super hard hitting heavy damage. It just didn't exactly play out that way. Uh, like it did in Japan because Beelstar had a way higher representation in Japan probably just because it needed to be less consistent in Japan because of the difference in our formats. Uh, Beelzemon. Well, Beelstar also, just again, general purple statement, but I'll, I think I'll respond to each deck specifically. It Beelstar, its specific option suite that it wanted to run, even if you really tried to work in a blue package with the the new Blue Tamer and Kakaitis Breath, too many decks just didn't care about... and. and you had Alpha that could only be bounced. You had Metal X that, um, for the most part, just survived. And then you have Grandis that ran a red package more frequently than otherwise. And Galmon didn't rely on one stack to win games. Deep Brigade went too well, wide. Also, Galmon had all of the protection against everything you had to uh, throw yeah. at it. So, like, just Purple's specific... Uh, toolkit was so not suited for this format it just everything you had didn't work or didn't matter one of the two it, it was never just never relevant unfortunately and yeah and this extends to beelzemon as well i love beelzemon uh my brother plays beelzemon uh not exactly religiously but it is one of his more favorite decks it's one of his better and how many decks. events has your brother topped um he hasn't. He doesn't really play super hardcore competitively like me. My uh, point he's definitely rests. more casual. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, as far as what did top, um, it's just the fact that purple needs setup. That is time spent towards building up to your actual build up that just other decks don't need. 
So it's like, oh, I need 10 cards in my trash. That takes two turns to do that. And then what are you left with? Yeah, I well, have 10 cards in my lucky, trash. Now what? Like it, exactly, it's like you spent two it turns doesn't, to get. It doesn't 10 give cards them security minus one. It doesn't kill anything. What are you actually doing with that ten cards in your trash? The ten cards is just enabling what you're supposed to try to do with the deck, and like it. The biggest thing is it turns your warp online, so you could go from level three to level six, which is a really big tempo swing uh, for Assuming the four memory you get that a you're following spending. Turn, which unfortunately in this format, you get two cards in your trash, and they went on turn three and you just got pie in your face uh i mean it, it does have like beelzebub more specifically does have an extra layer of rng with the milling aspect because like oh you could hit a card in security and then like it mill mills, something and yeah. then see where the mill trigger it goes and what happens based on the mills um it's just so, unfortunately like, it does too have, slow yeah it's just it's too slow the RNG aspect uh, that can make it pop off is nice, but it is RNG. It's not going to do it all the time. Um, and honestly, and... if because I, I feel like I remember because th there were just so few decks represented here. There were only two Beelzemon lists that topped events over the last three yep. months. Um, I'm pretty sure they were both purple hybrid Beelzemon lists. Uh, only one was. Okay. Because um, I don't have the list in front of me, but I remember seeing that type of deck, and I was like, oh, what is that? And it was just a Beelzemon list that ran, like, Impmons, Tamers, and then just, you know, hybrids, and then Beelzemons. So it was a Beelzemon list, but it was primarily focused on turboing out Beelzemons from hybrid Digimon. And, like, the other big problem is a lot of these purple decks don't have protection. So that's that's another thing that a lot of these uh, top decks do have is the ability to hide in raising, combo out when they need to, or just have their Digimon literally sit on the field and be super menacing, and you just have a very hard time dealing with anything that they are going to have presenting with you. Um, and this also extends to Mastemon slash Ophanimon um, as primarily purple decks like the whole Lichpin play is Gatomon. Between both of those decks, it's Gatomon. Mm -hmm. So Gatomon, if that card's dead, you're just dead. I mean, um, I... Ophanimon did better in my perspective because it wasn't relying on the cuteness of DNA. Uh, because DNA, even though the evolution is free, it does have a cost associated to be able to set up its DNA. Um, I don't know exactly if I've detailed this fully, like on the podcast i guess you know if i if i did it was so long ago that most people probably don't remember it anyway um i played d reaper at a large online event before i had won with it before i really thought it was that great um i just kind of took it really just to iron out like what it's doing and whatever and i only won one match in that event i like went on the fourth round i lost th my third and i just dropped and it was the same tournament we played each other, Zenitsu, but... Oh, yeah, I was on Metal Guru, and I was and, doing pretty well. But the one matchup, and so, like, just to describe why those two decks aren't necessarily super great, again, gatekeeping, D-Reapers, um, my opponent, on their first turn, just slammed a Gatomon, and with that amount of memory I had as D-Reapers on my first turn, was able to set up, I think, three or four sources underneath my mother and 
kill their Gatomon with a Starmons and pass turn with one. So I just undid everything they did, got myself, I think, three sources, like reasonably, probably closer to three, probably more likely three than four, gave myself three sources and killed their guy, giving, so now they start their next turn with one memory and nothing, as if that last, but now I'm halfway to my win condition. They just never recovered from that. And that's the problem with those two decks, is that if that's your best play, that's pretty bad in this format. It's too slow. Uh, Ophanimon's less about that. It's actually trying to Evo, and if it does need to hard play the Gato, most of the time it's off of a card effect, uh, like the Ophanimon when it dies. Mm. So, like, it's more just trying to abuse the fact that Gato can make you Evo for one into your Anjuamon. And then you have Anjuamon and Anjuamon X to do, like, shenanigans. Uh, but, like, it's the fact that they still just need... Like, their cards are still just more expensive. Like, they, the cost of their cards is higher, even though the impact of their cards has the potential to be higher. It's just, if the opponent's able to respond, well... Or ignore it. You're kind of SOL, yeah. Like, honestly, like, I mean, not, not to harp on Beelzebub specifically, just, like, try to really accentuate, like, why it hasn't seen premier competitive success is its best card, its best thing it can do is Beelzebub Blast Mode. And so, if you have a level 6 and pay 6, delete all of your opponent's Digimon, so you delete one thing, probably, or nothing. Well, you're, on paying, if... you're paying 3 off of Iron Maka. Okay, but still. Um, it's it's just too conditional. And, as Zidizu mentioned, it doesn't protect itself from anything. You still die to Ultimate Flare, just like you know, any, any other thing that hits security, you still die to, you know, even other another purple deck for the purple, you know, friend team kill. You know, you can die to a trump sword. Like, uh, maybe not exactly trump sword unless you have the ability to unsuspend. But, like, the big problem is purple doesn't have as good of a damage output on top of the fact that it needs setup. Um, like, a deck that I actually was surprised didn't see any competitive play which i thought would have been at least okay um was uh Tidemon otk um i think that deck is still pretty good considering it's an otk deck but i do acknowledge the fact that like if i'm comparing Tidemon otk to grandis otk i think grandis otk is just easier like that there's there's nothing about Tidemon otk that would make me say I need to play that over something like Grandis. Yeah. So I think this is the first time in a long time, honestly, as long as I've played this game, um, that I think this format was better than last. Like, usually I'm always excited for the new format, and then I'm unfortunately actually, just based on actually reflecting on the history of the game for the last, you know, six, seven months, it's usually worse. I preferred you know, EX1 to BT7. I preferred, eh, maybe not BT7 to BT8 specifically. BT8 was pretty good. and then BT8 I, was pretty good. I preferred BT8 to EX2, and I've now preferred EX... I've, I guess I've not preferred B, EX2 to BT9. I prefer BT9 as of, like, EX2. I still maybe prefer BT9 to BT8. Um, And that being said... I don't think that 
uh, metric will be broken moving forward to BT10. I don't think BT10 will be that bad. I mean, I, we'll see if, like, in three or four weeks I'm, like, sitting here eating my own words, but it it looks like there are enough interesting decks introduced with the format, like, kind of going a little bit wider. Like, the, they're not all OTK decks. They're not all... And the OTK decks don't necessarily go away, but they at least get checked enough by certain relevant threats, mostly being crosshearts, that they aren't as much of a... Like, I can just see my perfect line and win the game in two and a half turns. Yeah, and not to try to backpedal, like, just because you prefer a particular color or playstyle doesn't mean it's it's exactly bad. Things come in and out of the meta all the time, so right yeah. now purple might not be super purple, good, but who knows? Purple actually could be low-key the best like, color I still in, think like, BT13. purple historically, if you look at every meta... Purple is probably still maybe a little bit behind yellow, but the second best color as far as meta share. Because purple usually does have a tier 1 deck every format. This is the rare exception. Uh, I would concur with that. Because um, purple Cherubi with yellow base was a strong tier 1.5 deck in its format. Uh, I think it should be just not getting... Um, like a Mastemon did pretty well last Masti format. Was pretty good. It's just the tools this time around weren't meaningful enough. And I think, yeah, BT8, it, it's also just kind of suffering from they're getting cards for archetypes that aren't as competitive, and that's really stealing. Like, the whole Malamiotismon thing really hurt purple in BT8. That whole line of yeah. Digimon that's unplayable. Yeah, that... Uh, that was literally Black's curse for a yeah. very long time. It was like, oh, exactly. here's another new archetype. Are you going to finish the one you just started? No, 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 no. no. We're, we're not going <laughs> to do that. We're done with that now. Yeah, and now we're finally getting into where Black is good just because all of the tools that they've been getting is starting to add up. And like that's what's making Black probably one of the better colors to play right now just because of like all of its anti-meta tech that it has to just keep a lot of the other decks in check. Mm -hmm. um, and more dual-colored and... decks are becoming a thing. I mean, you know, archetypes still, unfortunately, but but archetypes nonetheless, you know. So, we like, the Dorugoris didn't go anywhere, but Dark Knight's up presence, purple-black. Um, uh, Minerva Loop should make a showing in the United States. I know it actually statistically didn't do very well in beat um in japan at all but it should exist as a strong purple deck no i think people uh all of these loop players are which there's a decent number of them they're out there we know it um <laughs> yeah they it was the second that most represented deck i mean i know we, like we spent the last couple of weeks going over older data it was the second most represented deck at nationals at the, the top end of nationals was lilith loop yeah, so uh, all of those players are probably going to jump on this new Purple Loop deck, and uh, the new Purple Loop deck looks pretty good. Um, I'm not a Loop player. I don't know how much infamily better it is um, than it's the okay. old one, but... I've, I've taken a look at it. It's okay. I still don't know I mean, if I'm playing I've, it 100% I've looked at correctly. it, too. I haven't played it, played it to really understand the nuance difference on yeah. why it's better than Lilith Loop. Mm -hmm. Um... To me, it's just looping. It's like, okay, I get what it's trying to do. I can do what it's trying to do, and it's interesting. I don't know how much better it is. 
So, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, so, um, kind of, I know, I know we're looking more towards BT-10 now, but just before we really, like, leave BT-9, is there, like, um, is there anything you regret about BT-9, I guess? Like, I know it took you a while to find your footing. Uh, that's probably the only thing I regret. Um, I was actively ignoring all of the good advice a lot of good players were giving me. They were like, dude, just play Guru. Just play Guru. You're going to love it. Um, and I was just like, no, I really don't want to play Guru. I want to play Alphamon. Alphamon didn't work out. I want to play D-Reaper. D-Reaper didn't work out. I wanted to play uh, Imperial again because I really liked Imperial. That didn't work out. Like, it took me too long to figure out that Guru was what I wanted to play, and that is probably my biggest regret for the format as a whole. I think, like, my performance this format could have been a little bit better. Almost made uh, top 16 at a big regional. Uh, I made one tiny misplay, and that costed me basically that. Um, so that would be my second regret. Um, but outside of that, I think BT9 was way better than I anticipated. And um, I just need to accept that I'm a filthy, dirty blue player, and uh, we'll see how Blue Flares treats me, and if uh, Cross Hearts is actually going to be my Destin's deck, uh, because I did like uh, Rookie Rush, and that's basically Rookie Rush 2.0. Yeah. I regret not being able to play by Human, because I remember we spent like an hour and a half, maybe two hours coming up with this super like giga-brained anti-meta by human list that i've literally never put together and never played i'll <laughs> uh, just throw him in ragnalordmon and no the day. no why would i do that <laughs> i'm just gonna play the same list unaltered in bt10 that's that's my my stride because honestly you know Gain one memory for each of your opponent's unsuspended Digimon or Tamers. They're going to have a lot of Tamers, because it's going to be Cross Hearts. And I'm going to gain a lot of memory. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, for every yeah. two unsuspended Digimon or Tamers your opponent has in play, trash a card from their security. That's baller. Great, an great anti-Cross Hearts tech. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, or you could just play uh, Gaiomon still and just straight up delete them with Black War Greymon, or you yeah. could play um, I Dark looking... Nightmon and delete them with Dark Nightmon. Like, we're getting better um, tamer, tamer removal. removal. Yeah. Uh, I even saw a lot of uh, people being super cute and cheeky in playing um, BB Thunder. I know that's not the English name, but I listen to the Japanese too much to not call it BB Thunder. Is that the blue option card? Uh, yes, it is Jellymon's option card where it could bounce tamers. Gross. It came out in BT9, um, mm -hmm. and it definitely, um, yep. was cute. If you have a Jellymon, return a tamer. Yeah, so you have to have a Jellymon, though. Yeah, I know, that's the only problem. <laughs> the, the, the biggest problem. It, um, yeah, I know. So, and honestly, looking at BT10 too, we don't know 100% what our meta is going to be like because Japan had yellow hybrids as their best deck, a large percentage of its best deck. It was most of it. 
So uh, it was the second best deck going into their BT10. We no longer have that, so obviously that's going to have some huge shakes and ripples for our BT10. I like. I'm going to try and see if I can hamfist a working yellow deck that still uses Vitasmon and its control elements without having the hybrid base to work off of. Um. So mathematically, um, you would want to use the Lopmon package. Gross. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying mathematically. I hate it conceptually. It is, <laughs> it, it is as fast because mm -hmm. the warp um from like the the memory transaction from going three in quotation marks three to level five mm -hmm. is only three, and that's how much it is with hybrids going from tamer to five. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, interested to actually break out some decks again. I know. Um. I, D Digimon had taken a backseat for me competitively for a little while. Um, picking up the new starter decks, going to pre-release this weekend. I'm just going to play a lot more now, again, than I haven't really played a whole lot in the last couple weeks. Uh, same. I've just been doing very, very casual at Locals. Locals, I noticed, had a huge dip in attendance um, for me. So the amount of people that I was playing against was definitely... Uh, drooling because I wasn't playing against very different opponents with very different decks. So um, obviously I was being hyper casual and I was like doing a lot of my like YouTube testing stuff where it's just like, oh, here's uh, Magnadramon X Antibody. Who plays that? Well, I made a YouTube video and I play it. <laughs> um, but that's locals is usually my testing ground for that stuff. And uh, I just wish the interest wasn't as low during september as it was so yeah that's uh that's bt9 i hope you guys all had fun with it i know we surprisingly had more fun than we thought we would it, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was even though the entire idea of an otk meta really didn't appeal to me as a control player um we got through it and hopefully it only gets better yep we made it uh bt10 is just around the corner and uh I don't think it's going to be as doom and gloom um, as everyone's making out to be, especially with how short-lived that format's going to be, and then See, EX3 is, like, right I mean, around the corner. I haven't even heard too many people say it's doom and gloom. They're just saying, like, oh, Cross Hearts is, uh, like, like they're, they're just kind of saying that it's solved. Like, more so than it is, like, is that a bad thing? I don't know, because I've never seen other decks play into Cross Hearts too much, especially teched decks play into Cross Hearts too much, but... I mean, it could potentially be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we want Crosshearts to be the best deck and everyone plays Crosshearts, Crosshearts will be the best deck. It's if people could come up with creative solutions to Crosshearts. And there are plenty of tools out there, I feel. Uh, I think we're going to definitely see a rise in Gaiomon. And Alphamon still isn't uh, hit with his uh, limitation that we mm -hmm. know is going to be coming. So uh, We don't know that necessarily. Alphamon is still, yeah, Alphamon is still on the table, boys and girls. So... With that, um, make sure to leave your comments on the Zenitsu's YouTube page if you want to try and get uh, picked for the viewer comments uh, question of the week. Um, but outside of that, uh, we'll have to close out this episode. Goodbye. Bye.